as I'm thinking about every week, to send out an email. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm always trying to think about. Um, I try I'm trying to think about a, maybe a theme or what is it at the time, and sometimes, sometimes I'll like send it out with like a theme or something, and then, and then it even changes <laughs> by the time I get to it. Um, I was even thinking last week I sent out one that said nature or nurture, nurture, oh. you know, and I don't think we ever actually addressed that as we went through our study. So who knows what God is ever going to do. Um, but my purpose in that one was, you know, we think about what is it that changes our behavior um, you know, and people, you know, look and say, you know, scientists, science, psychologists, everything says, look, you know, what makes up a person? You know, how are they behave? And, you know, there's that whole adage of, is it was a nature or was it nurture? Um, you know, nature being like the DNA and, and those things you don't have much control of. Nurture, sometimes we don't have control of too, which is like our environment, um, how we were brought up, our parents, all those different types of things. And I was thinking about that last week because as we were going through and hitting on what Isaiah was is talking about, particularly in Isaiah 1, 1 through 1, 4, mm-hmm. I realize that for God, it's not nature or nurture. No. It's it's really your relationship with Him. Mm-hmm. Okay, that's going to determine who you are. That's going to determine your behavior. That's going to determine are you going to make it through this struggle or that that struggle. Mm-hmm. That's going to determine your eternity. And so, really, to God, I mean, and you see that a lot of times. You see people who have had not good nature or nurture. And yet they are faithful to God, and you see their faith, and you see the ways in which God has delivered them. And they don't um, waver. And they don't waver, right. That's right. <laughs> you know. Because that's all they got. <laughs> exactly, exactly. So um, what sort of came to my mind today, in part, is as we're going to go through, is thinking about how what we've really done the last couple of weeks, I hope, is laid a foundation um, and I, I thought about this passage, and uh, which Jeff will get to. I mean, probably the rate we're going at church is probably about the rate we're going at Isaiah right now to go through the Sermon on the Mount. Um, it was funny. Someone asked me, I think it was, I forget who it was, maybe Steve, on Sunday. It's like, are we still going through the Sermon on the Mount? I'm like, uh, yeah, we're still going through the Sermon on the Mount. Hey, how you doing, Chris? And we'll be in, we'll be in the Sermon on the Mount for quite a while. Um, but this is um, this is the ending, or very close. It really is the ending of the Sermon on the Mount, um, and I think it speaks a lot to why we're going through Isaiah. You know, what are we what are we doing as we're walking through Isaiah? What are we doing when we're walking through the Sermon on the Mount? And I think um, if you guys want to turn there, turn to Matthew chapter seven. The very end of Matthew mm-hmm. chapter 7, or almost the very end. You know, there's almost 400 verses in in uh, Isaiah, and we're on verse 4. Yeah, yeah. we're doing good. We're one, one one hundredth. Yeah, we're, we're, we're moving along quickly. <laughs> we, we will Giving pick us up, time we to will sink in. Up, yeah, we'll pick up speed today. I, one of my analogies I was thinking about metaphors today was we're going to shift from first to second today. So, okay. <laughs> um, seven? Yeah, chapter 7 at the end, verse 24. 
And this is it's it's interesting how Matthew how how Jesus ends his Sermon on the Mount here. Um, so verse twenty four, um, he says, "Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on the house, but it did not fall." because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone, and I love Jesus, because he just, you know, he wants to make sure you really get it, so he's just going to say it again. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them, in contrast, will be like a foolish man who built his house on sand. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat against the house, and it fell. And great was the fall of it. So like that nature and nurture again. You know, I mean, what's going to happen in your life is going to be determined ultimately by where whether you hear God's word. And as we've been learning Isaiah, it is, and we're going to hear it over and over and over again, are we really hearing? Not just in one ear or the out the other. And the way that Jesus determines whether we hear is how? What we do. What we do. Exactly. Whether we obey what we hear. Um, And so I think what I've hoped we've done a little bit as we looked at and spent so much time in chapter one, one through four, really, is to build a foundation. Okay. Um, What do you think that foundation? In fact, why don't we just open to that now? So Isaiah one. So just um, a quick review. What. What is the foundation? <laughs> if you think about that, of Jesus building this house, the foundation, you got the foundation you got to build. What is that foundation, foundation we've learned in 2 and 3, in verses 2 and 3 in particular, that we've learned in the last couple of weeks? The foundation which everything else in Isaiah, and really I would say everything else in the Word of God, including what we just read from Jesus, is built on this. This well, is the foundation. Disobedience. They're disobedience. And why are they disobedient, though? What What is it that causes that disobedience? Rebellion. They don't know the Father. Why? Yeah. They're Rebellion. They're because they don't what? They're not following. They're not abiding in the Father. In, in yeah, God. very good. And you use no the word what? They don't what? They don't know him. They don't know him. No relationship. No, no relationship. relationship. And again, make that connection. No relationship. No K-N-O-W relationship because knowing in Scripture is speaking of a relationship. I I was reading something about just some church or whatever, and I saw that term again. You know, the whole, I don't know if it was a Jesus movement that started or not. You know, personal, do you have a personal relationship with God? And so I was thinking about, you know, we have used, we use that term, and there's been some criticism of that term because nowhere does Jesus say, you need to have a personal relationship with me. Or, you know, do you have a personal relationship with Jesus? You know, that's a term we used to use. I think in reality, though, that's exactly what God's wanting. Um, he is after, That's what he means when he uses the word know, when he says, I'm your child, I'm your father. He wants us to know him personally. Um, and the way you get to know anyone is how. How do you know someone? Spend time with them. Spend time with them. Yeah, spend time. With and them. what are you? When are you spending time with them? What are you doing? 
exchanging presents with each other. Presence or presence? You're, you're being with that person, asking them. Yeah, right. So yeah. you're com- conversing, right? Having communication. Yeah. yeah, very good. Um, you know, I mean, we just, Bruce um, and his wife Linda just came over to our house. First time we had anybody at our new house, and had, we had them over for dinner. And, you know, it's like I see Bruce all the time. I've seen Linda just a little bit, but it's like after that time that we had together, it's like, wow, we're like, we got to know them. They got to know us. Yeah, yeah. But you do that through being present and Mm -hmm. exchanging words, you know, which is exactly what God's trying to do that we were talking about. I mean, he's given us his presence even closer than having Bruce and Linda over, his presence inside of us, and he's given us these words to know him. Okay. So what else? Anything else about building that foundation that we saw here that we talked about in verses 2 and 3? Anything else comes to your mind? You know, it seems to me like he's building two foundations. Uh-huh. Uh, he's, he's building one on the rock and he's building one on the sand. In Matthew, that's for sure. <laughs> but he's not building it, right? Well, What's that? When you're saying when you're saying who's building the foundation? When you said sand. Oh, the, the Lord's building the foundation. He's he's setting it up. He should, he's basically going. You could have a foundation on the sand, right? Or you could have one on the rock. And you know, so if you if you're following God and seeking Him and spending time with Him. It's creating a stronger foundation. Right. But as soon as you, as soon as you wander away, or you're successful, and perhaps you're, you're in no need of a relationship with him. Uh, that's that's when the house starts coming apart, and the foundation starts coming apart. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. Right. You asked uh, uh, in two and three verses two and three. Uh huh. The two things that stand out to me in relationship to the are the fact that he calls us children, and then he says, "But they don't. You don't understand me." Yeah. Right. Um, that describes me perfectly. <laughs> <laughs> they don't understand you. <laughs> no. No. Nobody yeah. understands. I don't understand. The father sometimes. Right, right. I feel like a child that's kind of dumb. Well, maybe that's in some ways, I think that's a good place to be, is that we are constantly seeking to try to understand him. Mm-hmm. You know? And I mean, that is really why we hear here. As I just keep, I said that in the email I sent out last week. You know, my hope is that that's what we're doing here. It's not just to sit there and talk theology or dive into this word or that word. Ultimately, it's to try to get to know God better. Mm-hmm. And that's how, actually, when you take a look at it, that's how the Jews always did it. Was those, I mean, to get to know God, it was always studying. That's how you see in Jesus. It's always about studying and understanding and wrestling with what, what God says. Mm-hmm. So, all right. So what I want to do tonight is speed up. Um, and I want to just cover everything from 1-5 to 2-5 tonight. Okay. Everything. <laughs> okay. 
to take a look at. So one. So what did I say about one five? To, what did I say about chapter one one to two five? What was I? What were we talking about? The bad forms. Superscription. God's response. Well, just a whole thing when we're oh, looking at that thing. whole section. Um, the superscription is really just that beginning. Superscription. Yeah. But what what did what have we talked about? Why do I keep focusing on one one to two five? What's the? Well, everything else is based on that. Yeah, very good, very good. So really, what you see in one one to two five is really, really a laying out, almost like an introduction. It's like you know when you give a you write a book. Okay, did you, you have an introduction to your book, right, Jeff? Yeah. Yeah. So it's like, what do you do in the introduction? You topic paragraph. Yeah, you explain where, we're going. where are you going, okay? And that's really what one one to two five does, is sort of lay out where we're going. Um, so what I want to do is, I specifically there's a whole lot of things that we can cover within that, but I want to look um, really specifically at the question of. Um, Trying to, so when you take a look at the Old Testament, which we're in now, you know, when we're in Galatians, we're obviously in the New Testament. We're after, you know, after Christ, after the cross. When you look at the Old Testament, there's what's called continuity and there's discontinuity between what the Old Testament talks about and what the New Testament talks about. And a lot of times that's where there's confusion. Um, you know, do we still follow the Levitical law, you know? I mean, what, what we hear about in the Old Testament, there's things that there we go, no, that doesn't apply. And there's other things that we say, yeah, it applies a whole lot. Okay. And so as we look at that continuity and discontinuity, if we're trying to understand God, one of the big things to do is make sure we understand him within the context. Mm -hmm. Okay. It's like if you're married, all right, you are not... You know, and your wife or let's say your spouse or something, they went through a whole lot of struggles in the past, but they got through those. All right. Those aren't struggles that they have today. You've got to you to know them. You want to know both. But you want to know what still affects them today. There might be things that affect them today. There might be things that don't affect them today. All right. So same type of thing here is we're going through Isaiah. It's trying to sometimes differentiate and go. What is God talking about then that we need to really understand about him that applies to today, okay? Versus other things that are just simply, okay, that happened back then in history. And it's a lot of times, I'm not going to say there's a very clear cut with that a lot of times. But what I want to do is I want to read through one from, um, well, we'll start at 1-4 just to review from last week. But I want to look at 1-4 and read all the way through to 2-5. And I specifically want us to look at, see if I'm clear about this, <laughs> want us to look at how, what terms does God use to describe his people that he uses back then, and what terms does, do those apply still to today? All right, so to be very specific, does he... And by, by, and by, I'm talking about the term, all right? So, like, does he call us children? I mean, the very first opening is children. Does God still use that term, children, for us today? Don't ask that yet. You know, that's one question. Does he still use the term Israel to describe 
us as Christians today. All right, so God's going to use different terms as he walks through. So I want to look specifically at what are those terms, and as we read through, what is it that God calls his people then, and does he still call us those terms today? All right, does that make sense? Yeah. Okay. So we can sort of recognize that. So let's just, we're just going to read through. Um, all right, so, well, let's just start at the beginning. Isaiah, just to start out. Hero is, hero heavens, give ear, O earth, for the Lord has spoken. Children I have reared and brought up. So does he still call us today children of God? Have, does he use that term after Christ? No. Yeah? Yeah. Okay. Everyone sort of, anybody think of an examples of that? Just offhand? Yeah, he, that he believed in him and gave the right to become the children of God. Okay, great. Yeah. Okay. So, so he still definitely calls his children of God there. Um, and then he says, but they have rebelled against me. The ox knows its owner and the donkey is master's crib. But does Israel, but Israel does not know. So, there's Israel. Does he call us Israel today? <laughs> no. Don't think so. No. Okay. Generally, I would say you're probably correct. The answer is no. The only time that we see that is, remember, at the end of very end of Galatians? At the end of Galatians, he, call, he says the Israel of God. A lot of debate about that. Does that refer to us or not? But mostly, generally, you don't see God in the New Testament. Wouldn't it be calling us Israel? So is it a flavor? Because at the beginning of Galatians, he says that we are, uh, if we're abiding with Christ, we are sons of right. Abraham. Right. Yes. Is what is it like a nuance, a flavor uh, that that we would be kind of Jewish? Well, he does say that our father is Abraham. Remember yes. that okay. in Galatians. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. I, I, yeah. Yeah. I think Galatians was was Paul redefining for the Jews in large part what the nation of Israel is now. Yes. Right. Which are the children of God. Right. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Not that we're Jewish. But the word right. children of God were the children were <laughs> yeah, adopted. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Right. So you have the spiritual term of us today. So what we say we we are, we can say Father Abraham is our father. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Now he's not physically our father. I mean some people might somewhere built to do that genealogically father, but he is spiritually our father. Okay. Make sense? Mm-hmm. All right. So like Jay Vernon McGee said this week something uh-huh. about the other great Group did he actually there. say that this week, he, he, or did he? Uh, was it? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know. Oh, yeah. From the grave. The tape replayed back this week. <laughs> I know. Uh, yeah. And I'd never heard that before because I don't listen to him all the time. Yeah. What is it he said? Of, he was speaking of Islam. Uh huh. And he, he called it the you know the great religion. He called it. Uh-huh. Uh huh. So their father is Abraham. Mohammed. Well, their father is also Abraham. It is. That's right. That's a lot of bases. That's where they. That's where you have the connection that comes back. They both come yeah, to Abraham. It's more of a genetic thing, but right. uh, we're spiritually connected to Abraham. And Abraham actually wasn't a Jew. 
he was because it wasn't because well, it was the nation hadn't even been developed yet. Right, so. but he was be called the first the first one. the first Jew in a sense, I guess you could say, right? The first yeah, Jew. yeah, Number because one. it was through him he was blessed, and all the nations were blessed. After that, right. Yeah. So yeah. yeah, okay. So everyone sort of see where I'm going, just as we walk through here. Yeah. Okay, so. Then it says, my people do not understand. So does God still call us his people? Yeah. 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 Okay. All right. Okay. All right. Good. All right. Now, verse 4. Ah, sinful nation. There's one. <laughs> okay. That applies to today. Does he still call us a nation as Christians today? Do you see that in the New Testament, him ever calling us and you guys might even, but just, do you, does he ever call us a nation? Refer to us as a nation today. No. It's, we're getting away from that, at least the secular side. Well, not, I'm not thinking secular side. I'm just You're thinking, thinking just does he actually address us as Christians today? As a nation. Those who have faith in Christ. So we're thinking about in Galatians, right? All those who have faith in Christ, who have the Spirit of God, what is, what is the term we mostly use today for those who have faith in Christ? We are, they are part of the, the church. The church. Yeah. Okay? All right. But does God, and God will talk about us being part of the church, right? Kingdom. But kingdom. 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 That's a, yeah. But does God ever say we're a nation? No. 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 Okay. okay. All right. So. Okay. All right. Um, we talked about a people laden with iniquity. Um, I hope he doesn't call us offspring of evildoers, but obviously the term here is in a derogatory sense. Um, children who deal corruptly, they have forsaken the Lord. They have despised the Holy One of Israel. They are utterly estranged. That is a hard word to say those two together really fast. Um, okay, now picking it up from last week, and if you guys want to stop me at any point, we can do that. I'm not trying to look at the details here, just more the overall thing. So why will you be struck down, God says, Says people, why will you continue to rebel? The whole head is sick, mm -hmm. and the whole heart faint. Mm -hmm. From the sole of the foot even to the head, there is no soundness in it. But bruises and sores and raw wounds, they are not pressed out or bound up or softened at all. So when you hear that description, what's what is God saying about his people at this time? Sick. They're hard-headed. They're sick. They're hard-headed. <laughs> That's definitely one. They're, they're sick. They're battered. Yeah. They're sort of battered. They're yeah. Like... You look at that, how he describes that there. I mean, that's something how you describe someone who's sick, not healthy. Not you know, you want to look and say, look at a person and say, are they healthy or not? You know, I mean, Jason, you know, you do a lot of that where you, you know, are looking at the total health of a person. I mean, here you have this description of pretty much when people are not right, <laughs> you know, not healthy. Mm -hmm. And here God is using that to describe his people at this point because of their sin. And then he says, your country. <clears throat> and what, what country is he referring to here? Well, the nation of Israel. Yeah, Israel. Well, here he's not referring to the nation of Israel. He's referring to the country, which would be the... Obama. country of Israel. And again, that's where you can see the distinction. There's the nation, the people. Here he's just saying, your country lies desolate. Your cities are burned with fire. 
In your very presence, foreigners devour your land. It is desolate and overthrown by foreigners. And the daughter of Zion is left like a booth in a vineyard, like a lodge in a cucumber field. (laughs) Ever thought of that? Like a besieged city. Um, So are there any terms there that possibly or is used of the people back then that is used today for us? They're besieged. 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 Okay. <laughs> that we feel today? Yes, I think that's true. Um, anybody know, like where it says right there, like a booth in a vineyard? Do you know what he's talking about there? Anybody know what that term booth means? Well, probably a watchman. Very good. A hut. Yeah, the booth is a hut. It's just a little shack over Yeah. Lead you. Would, would he that be kind of like the sawdust. Is he referring to uh, the temple? Well, very good. So he's probably not, he might be indirectly referred to that, unless he's referring to that in part, because the booth there, there is the Feast of Booths. I don't know if you knew that, but Israel has a Feast of Booths. They do, that's right. And there's a booth, and the the booths also is another term for the Feast of Tabernacles. Excellent. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. We, we had years ago. Uh huh. Joel Vanderbilt was going to church. He built one in our. Oh, did he? Oh, cool. During the feast, and we all had to do everything. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. That's cool. <laughs> to, just in honor of that. Yeah. So, what's the purpose of the booth in the vineyard? Well, so, that I mean, I think here. Good question. I mean, so first of all, agriculture was huge for Israel. Okay, and that's one of the main things they did was was agriculture. You would have vineyards. I mean, that was one of the things that still today you see all over Israel. A bunch of Israel's a lot of vineyards. See here, they're really talking about just that. um, Well, he's saying he's saying there's not much left. Maybe just like a single like booth in a vineyard, just like a little hut. Okay, so it's it's desolate, but there's just these a little place that's still left maybe where some people are. It's just getting the idea that everything's been destroyed. Um, but but that word that word booth there is also the same word that's used for tabernacle. So he's pretty and and when the people I think it's also I think the feast of booths and tabernacles, when the people came over from Egypt, you know, they would build like huts. They would build things mm-hmm. for them to live in. You know, not just out in the open. And that's what these booths are. It's like little huts that go along. Okay. Um, All right. So, verse 9. If the Lord of hosts had not left us a few survivors, we should have been like Sodom and become like Gomorrah. Hmm. (laughs) What's he talking about here? Scorched earth. Okay. Destruction. Yeah, just destruction. Clean, clean of the way. Why is he using this term? Um, we would not have been like Sodom or become like Gomorrah. What happened to Sodom and Gomorrah? They were just evaporated. <laughs> yeah. Because there was nobody left. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Nobody left. So he's actually here. He's re- spiritually saying, "Look, Israel, you have through your sin, you've become like Sodom." And Gomorrah. 
Okay. But what's the what's the hope left in that verse? A few survivors. Yeah, a few survivors. Which what did you just say, Jeff? Uh, a remnant. A remnant. Um, yeah. Yeah. Okay. So when you think of that remnant, who do you think of that remnant being? Lot. The what? Lot. Right. Well, and Sodom and Gomorrah. Yeah. Yeah. So the few survivors. Who was the survivors of Sodom and Gomorrah? Just, just Lot. Right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the wife turned to salt. I remember that part. Right. He turned around. And went, so who was left? Lot. Yeah, Lot. Okay. Lot. So you have one survivor. Yeah. Left here. Okay. What do you think? Who do you think God is referring to here when He says that there's only a few survivors? And what does that tell you? What is that? When you're reading that there, okay, there's such destruction that's happening, but there's still a few survivors left. Is this a few believers? That's a scary thought, actually. Yeah. What, what were you saying, Jeff? Well, I'm trying to remember my history. But, um, <laughs> there's pressure on this is king Ahaz. Is he the king of Jerusalem at this time? Um, yes. Yeah, during some of this time, Ahaz is of Judah. Yeah, Judah, king of Judah. And there's pressure now. There's an alliance with with Israel, Assyria, Assyria, and the northern tribe. Right. And the pressure for them to compromise. Yeah, yeah. Is this sort would would Judah sort of be the remnant or some of Judah? Maybe? Well, I think here, I mean, ultimately, and so one of the things that is happening here in chapter one is he's referring to a lot of things we're going to see through Isaiah. So it is in part referring to what's going to happen with Ahaz. It's in part referring to what's going to happen with Hezekiah. Yeah. It's in part what's going to happen even beyond that. Okay. So like if I, I'll just read it right now. Isaiah 4, um, I think it's Isaiah 4, 2 through 3. Yes, yeah, so you can listen to this. In, four, in Isaiah 4, 2 through 3, it says, In that day the branch of the Lord shall be beautiful and glorious. And the fruit of the land shall be the pride and honor of the survivors of Israel. And he who is left in Zion and remains in Jerusalem will be called holy. Everyone who has been recorded for the life of Jerusalem. So you have this idea that even though there's going to become, which is a theme we're going to see throughout Isaiah, to get sort of an idea, there's going to be this destruction. But ultimately, there's going to be a remnant. Okay. That's going to continue on. All right, and so we're going to see that theme as we go through. Um, and then in verse 10, hear the word of the Lord, you rulers of Sodom. So listen to, again, this this repeating, hear, 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 okay? They're not hearing. But listen to who he's talking to now. You rulers of Sodom, give ear to the teaching of our God, you people of Gomorrah. And then he goes into this whole section here. We're going to come back to that after we go through this, after we go through 2 5. We're going to come back actually to this section. But it says, What to me is a multitude of your sacrifices, says the Lord? I have had enough of your of burnt offerings and rams and the fat of well fed beasts. I do not delight in the blood of bulls or the lambs or the goats. When you come and to appear before me, who has required of you this trampling of my courts? Bring no more vain offerings. Incense is an abomination to me. New moon and Sabbath and the calling of convocations. I cannot endure iniquity and solemn assembly. 
Your new moons and your appointed feasts my soul hates. They have become a burden to me. I am weary of bearing them. When you spread out your hands, I will hide my eyes from you. Even though you make many prayers, I would not listen. Your hands are full of blood. Wash yourselves. Make yourselves clean. Remove the evil of your deeds before my eyes. Cease to do evil. Learn to do good. Seek justice. Correct oppression. Bring justice to the fatherless. Plead the widow's cause. Just when you hear that, anything that strikes you when you hear that at all? I want to just get through 2.5 or come back to some of this. Well, Christ said the same thing. What did he say? He said to serve widows. Uh-huh. Okay. And, Very good. And orphans. Orphans and widows. Where else did we hear that? So Jesus said that. Who else said that? Paul said that. Paul said that. Who Peter else said, said that? that? Anybody remember? Where did you hear that about widows and orphans? Where else did you hear that in the New Testament? Widows and orphans. Paul said that a number of times. Was it Peter? Peter did too. Jeff, what do you think? Widows and orphans. Where do, where have we heard that before? Oh, John. John. What? I said James. James. Of course. Oh. Think James. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> what did what did it say in James? <laughs> you guys remember? That's pure religion. Yeah. Okay. So in James. Just um, just seeing where you guys sort of, sort of pick up. So one of the famous ones in James. So James says at the end of chapter one, he says, religion. And if anyone thinks he is religious, and that's really what you're hearing here, right? Is that they're thinking they're religious, or doing all these things they're supposed to do. They think they're religious. And does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart. This person's religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God, the Father, is this. What? To visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. Okay, here you see, that James. That's uh, chapter 1, verse 26, 27. 26 through 27. <clears throat> so you can sort of hear echoes here of what you're going to hear James even talk about with this. All right, so we're going to come back to this just in a, in a few minutes. Okay, then verse 18. So listen to what now God says. He says, come now, let us reason together, <laughs> says the Lord. Come now, let us reason together. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are red as crimson, they shall become like wool. If you are willing and obedient, you shall eat the good of the land. But if you refuse and rebel, you shall be eaten by the sword. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Anything there that you guys just think about when you hear about the let us reason together? Well, yeah, certainly we're not doing that now. We're not doing that now. Doing that. <laughs> <laughs> doing that now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, listen to that. Let us reason together. We, we can work it out if we think. Yeah. And not be just thinking of ourselves. Yeah. But but when it says the Lord, let us reason together, who, who is he referring to? 
Yeah, who is he referring to? I mean, you could say he's referring, he could potentially be referring us to us today. Who's he referring to back then? The, the, the uh, Jewish but, nation. Yeah. Well, but to he's, Israel. But he's saying, let us, you and me. Yeah. Together. But who's you? You, the one who's hopefully hearing this. Yeah. It right. could be us. Well, today it definitely can be us. Absolutely. So today that is... Isn't it interesting that some someone as absolutely magnificent beyond our description, yeah. who is God, actually invites us to reason with him? There, yeah. And gets really bummed out when we don't. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Totally. Well put, though. You know, because a lot of people just sort of like, you know, it's that whole like bumper sticker thing, you know. The Bible says it, I believe it. Well, that sounds like on the surface good, but that's not what God wants us to do. No. To just say, blind faith. Oh, we're a bunch of Christians who blind faith. No. He wants us to really think yeah. and reason and be able to argue based on that reason. That's a relationship. Exactly. Very good. Very, very good, John. Yeah. I mean, it's sort of like you tell your wife, you know, just do what I say. <laughs> Why don't you believe what I believe? Well, that doesn't work. Yeah. It doesn't work. <laughs> right. That's a good way to get ushered out the door. That's right. Yeah. That's right. And I was. Well, can Doesn't we all put our heads together here and figure yeah, out yeah, how we, that yeah, yeah. Doesn't it feel like... Well, I'm just struck by, like, the sickness. Mm. And that their hearts are failing, their minds are corrupted, and you're going... The inability to acknowledge that we're sick. I mean, I think... Yeah. To me, that's some of the reasoning. Like God saying, look at the symptoms, you guys. Like, you need help. Right. Mm-hmm. And they're going, we're fine. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. So the reasonableness is like we refuse to acknowledge the truth. You know, right. we, we think we're okay. Yeah. Uh, Jeff, one of the things that I like most about your preaching is you rec- you want us to think. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You, give, you, you make it, you, you challenge us to think about things that are, we, we generally would take for granted. It's a terrific trait. Mm-hmm. 25 cents, please. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's why you guys, that's why I love us doing what we're doing here during the night. You know, it's not just, it's, it's let's wrestle with this. You know, let's wrestle with God. And I think, what who's he saying this to? Like you just asked, Jason. He's actually saying to the very people he, he knows God is completely turned away from now. This is almost like that discussion we had last, well, it, I'd say it is like the discussion we had last week. In Isaiah, when we get to Isaiah 6, you know, it sounds like God's just telling the people, I'm going to take away your hearing and your understanding because they already sort of have. It's sort of like here, too, God knows these people are not, they've completely abandoned him. They're off doing their own thing, and God's trying to call them back, even though maybe he knows that's not going to happen. But there's still going to be a few, not remnant that he's going to say, let's figure this out. Let's reason what's going on. Look, I'm your dad. Okay, I care about you. I love you. I saved you out of Egypt. Okay? (laughs) All right? It's like you talking to your kids and going, can we just talk about this and make reason about it? (laughs) Yeah. The tape that you made from last session, I listened to it. The funniest part I thought was when God saying, okay, kids, you want to go play in the street? Go, go. You know, there, but there might be one or two that go. No, I don't think so. Yeah. 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 That was exactly. really funny. 
All right. So then, yeah, and continuing again, we're going to just get through all this, and then we're going to come back around and look at something. So then he says, how the faithful city, notice how he says, so how is the city identified? It's identified as, right, and what was it before? Faithful. Faithful. So you see this change again. How the faithful city has become a horror. She who was full of justice. Hmm. You, so you get an idea of this. It was, Israel was on track. Okay, God's people were on track. That's the thing to remind for us too. That's why we reason together. It's like, are we still that faithful city? Righteousness lodged in her. That's how it was. But now, listen to the contrast. But now, murderers. What happens when you don't have righteousness? You end up having people killing each other. That's right. Yeah. Chicago. Yeah, yeah exactly. Destruction. You know, yeah. America. Yeah. The world. Yeah, the whole world. Because what's, what does righteousness mean? This is one term for righteousness. Mm-hmm. What does righteousness mean? Let's set apart with God. Right? Is it right with God? Or? Yeah, being right, being right with, with God, God and being right in right relationship with others. Okay? So the actual term righteousness really means being in right relationship. What happens when you're not in a right relationship? You're killing each other. Okay? Your silver has become dross. Your best wine mixed with water. Your princesses are rebels and companions and themes. Everyone loves a bribe. And runs after gifts. None of that happens today. They do not bring justice to the fatherless, and the widow's cause does not come to them. Therefore the Lord declares, the Lord of hosts, the mighty one of Israel, Ah, I will get relief from my enemies and avenge myself on my foes. I will turn my hand against you. I will smelt away your drosses with lye and remove all your alloy. And I will... So what's he talking about there in 25? Again, what's happening there? Just what's a metaphor being used for? I will turn my hand against you. I will smelt away the dross with the lie and remove all your alloy. What? What is that? What's happening there? Refinement. Refinement. So what happens with refinement? You do you, what do you end up with when you are refining? Purity. You get rid of all purity. the dirt. Purity. Yeah, purity. Do you end up with something? Gold. <laughs> okay. I think in gold. Yeah, so so think about here again, going back to that remnant. When God's coming in here, he's not saying I'm destroying everything. He's saying I am burning up all that is evil. But there's going to again be something left. All right. Um I will restore your judges as at first and your counselors as at the beginning. And then listen to what happens. So he starts out with, in verse 21, there was a faithful city. It has become a whore. But then it says, now I'm going to go through this process. And in the end, afterwards, you shall be called the city of righteousness, a faithful city. So you see this idea that he's restoring what, what he's been doing. Okay. And then he says, Zion shall be redeemed by justice and those in her who repent by righteousness. But rebels and sinners shall be broken together 
and those who forsake the Lord shall be consumed. For they shall be ashamed of the oaks that you desired, and you shall blush from the gardens that you have chosen. For you shall be like an oak whose leaf withers, and like a garden without water, and the strong shall become tender, and his work a spark. And both of them shall burn together, and none to quench them. And then we have the last part of what we're looking at, 2, 1 through 5. The word of Isaiah, son of Amos, saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem. So so listen to this section and tell me what you think he's describing. It shall come to pass in the latter days that the mountain of the house of the Lord shall be established as the highest of the mountains and shall be lifted up above the hills. And all the nations shall flow to it, and many people shall come and say, Come. Let us go to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, that he may teach us his ways, that that we may walk in his paths. For out of Zion shall go forth the law and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He shall judge between the nations and shall decide disputes for many peoples. And they shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. Mm-hmm. And then he ends with, O house of Jacob, come, let us walk in the light of the Lord. Yeah. What is that section? What do you... Redemption. Redemption. Very good. Hope. Hope. Mm-hmm. Almost seems like revelation or something. It does seem like revelation, <laughs> doesn't it? Hope can way ahead. Right. Right. Anybody else? What does that What does that sound like there? Peace. Peace. Okay. It'd be the millennium. Yeah, something like that. Yeah, millennium. All right. Anyone else? It's, it's what will happen when Jesus returns. Yeah. Okay. Good. Good. What a gift. I mean, just the hopefulness. The way? The hopefulness. Okay. All right. So you see how here in Isaiah, I mean, at the end, he's still bringing out this idea that there's hope. Mm-hmm. All right. So, question for you. Let's take a look at this last section right here. I asked you the question, are we... Are, are, are these terms that he's God's using here still used of us today? All right. So, when you hear the word Zion, is Zion a term that's used today for us? In general, no. I sure hope not. <laughs> you sure hope not. Interesting. In general, no. Once you think about this, so is Zion a term that's used for us today as Christians? Are we Part of Zion. Well, we are, but it's not a term. <laughs> not a term okay. Right? What about the term Jerusalem? Is that a term that applies to us today? The you two mean us, us particularly here or in the ones that live in Israel or what? Well, I'm wondering. So here, here God uses, so here is now the... God's using these terms of the people back then. Zion, Jerusalem, all right? Are those terms that apply to who we are today as a church? 
Think of those terms, and maybe even think about Galatians. <laughs> okay. I think they're in the hopefulness of, of, of a future tense. But it's it's in hope. Okay. What'd you say? Well, I think they do because she talks about climbing the mountain to Zion, and it's like it's the path to to righteousness. Okay. And you know. I think of Jesus at that point in our relationship with God, reestablishing that relationship would be on the path to Zion. All right. Okay. Well, in that way, probably Zion uh, and Jerusalem are also symbolic. Yeah, that's... Okay. And they apply for all time. All right. Okay. And what are they symbolic of? Well, Christ's Christ's eventual holy city. Okay. All right. Christ's eventual holy city. That's good, Gil. Our forever reunion. Okay. Anybody remember from Galatians by Jerusalem? You like this part, I remember, Jason. (laughs) This section of Galatians. What are we referred to in Galatians? Who are we when it comes to Jerusalem? Anybody remember? We are going to be the new inhabitants of the of the the new Jerusalem, the Jerusalem to come. So I want you to turn to Galatians, Galatians four. So you remember what's going on here. Mm. I go back to two books we've looked at. So Galatians four. I can find Galatians for what. So, you tell me. (laughs) Look at Galatians 4. Well, let's just start at 21. All right. Galatians 4.21? Yeah, Galatians 4.21. This is this metaphor used of Hagar and Sarah. It says, tell me, you who desire to be under the law, do you not listen to the law? For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by the slave woman and one by the free woman. But the son of the slave was born according to the flesh, while the son of the free woman was born through promise. Now this may be interpreted allegorically. These women are the two covenants. One is from Mount Sinai, bearing children for slavery. She is Hagar. Now Mm -hmm. Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia, and she corresponds to the present Jerusalem, for she is in slavery with her children. But the Jerusalem above is free, and she is our mother. See so here how? Wow. Who are we? We are the children. Yeah, and we are. Well, what are we termed here? We are the Jerusalem of the future. Yeah, above. Okay. So here, God's people is actually termed as Jerusalem. And it's not even the future, though. It's, it's yeah, the it's present. now. Right. Right. And at the present, then. Yeah. But you see how easy it is? Like if I say Jerusalem right now, you could think of a whole lot of things. Am I thinking Jerusalem as a place? Am I thinking Jerusalem back in the time of here? Am I thinking of Jerusalem as a city that still exists today? Am I thinking of Jerusalem as to us as a people today? There's all these different ways that we can look at it. All right. So I want you now to turn to Hebrews. Is this going to be that Zion? Yes. <laughs> Very good. Because I want to see, I want you to see how all this comes together for us. So Hebrews 
And go to Hebrews 12, I think. Um, hello, mouse. Yeah, Hebrews 12. 22, I think it says. Very good. How'd you get that? I was reading it a little bit ago while you were doing that. Well, look at you. What page is that on? Uh, 1317. <laughs> Great, thank you. That helped. Did you say verse 22? I'm trying to do chapter two things. Chapter yeah. what? Hebrews 12, 22. chapter 12. Or verse 22. 22, verse 29. <coughs> All right, so Hebrews 12. Um, in fact, why don't we just start at um, verse, well, I'll start at verse 18 just to read. So 12, 18. Chris, you want to read that? Why don't you read... 1218 um, down through like 20 well just to the end of that paragraph okay. it's like 24 just going to read that whole section okay to 24 yeah um, you have not come to a mountain that can be touched and that is burning with fire to darkness gloom and storm to a trumpet blast or to such a voice speaking words that those who heard it begged that no further word be spoken to them because they cannot bear what was commanded. If even an animal touches the mountain, it must be stoned. The sight was so terrifying that Moses said, I am trembling with fear. But you have come to Mount Zion, to the heavenly Jerusalem, the city of the living God. You have come to thousands upon thousands of angels in joyful assembly, to the church of the firstborn, whose names are written in heaven. You have come to God, the judge of all men, to the spirits of righteous men made perfect, to Jesus, the mediator, of a new covenant into the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. All right, good. So you see there in verse 22, everyone, but you have come to Mount Zion. See us being, we have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, to the heavenly Jerusalem. Mm. All three of those terms describe God's people. I mean, you could describe the remnant of the people back in Isaiah and who he's speaking about there. And he's speaking now about this hope, and he's calling that Zion. Um, anybody know what Mount Zion is physically? Is it Moriah? Isn't it? Is that where Jesus was? Yeah, wasn't he like, oh, yeah, I forget. Yeah, it's, it's, it's where the original temple, the, the original temple when, when um, David took over, it's like the original part of Jerusalem, just this little section that was called Zion. I went when I went to Israel. I went to the um, Jerusalem University College there and took a course on land. That college is built into the actual wall of Mount Zion. <laughs> the actual college is built into the wall, so it's actually a physical place. All right. So there is a Mount Zion. There is a Mount Zion. Okay, but here he's not speaking of as speaking of that as a physical place. He's speaking as mm-hmm. us as part of that people. We are. Look, listen to the terms. We are called the Mount. Would you have come to Mount Zion? You have come to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. You know what? What you said. What you said, um, Jason about it not being in the future, but it's now. And that opened a whole train of thought for me, because I've always thought of the New Jerusalem as 
coming someday. Which it is, but there's but a sense of it. But it also exists now. Now, right. <laughs> and this says it's the, thro- it's the um, throne of God is in there. Didn't it say that? Well, in a sense, I mean, and where is the throne of God today? (laughs) Yeah, and that's, yeah, that's why I'm sort of throwing this out here, because (laughs) you can see how all these terms are just so thrown around. But so anyway, did you finish your thought there? Yeah. So we are, but what is God now also calling us in what I just read there? He's calling us Zion as the people of God. He's calling us Jerusalem, and the, and what is he? What other term is he using for us? We are a church. Well, he didn't say church. What is he saying right in that part right there? For What's sure. what is Zion and Jerusalem? What's he referring to those? They are. Uh, what'd you say, Chris? Company of angels. Huh? Did you say something or? No. No. Okay. City of the living God. A city of the living God. Wow. Have you ever thought that we are now a city of the living God? No. And here we're called the city of the living God. Did you just hear how in Isaiah, how many times you heard the word city? That we are, there's a faithful city that has now turned into whore, but now that city is going to be restored back to that faithful city. That would be wonderful. Yeah. But we are a city. Why do you think we're called a city? Actually, that's a term that's used quite often. As the people of God, we think of ourselves as a church, but you ever think of yourselves as a city? It says that in the psalm, too. Or psalm 40. Yeah. Because to be a city, there has to be a relationship. Okay. What else does there have to be? In? Very good. What else does there have to be in a city? Government. Government. Law and order. Law and order. Organization. All right. Anybody know what the Greek term is? If Steve was here, he's not on right now. He's good at looking this up. Anyone know what the Greek term for city is? which is also part of the Septuagint in the Old Testament. So even when you read city in Isaiah, it's the same term in the, what's called the Greek Old Testament, which is what they were using. Jesus, they Philadelphia, were using the city of brotherly love. What is the word city in Greek? Pollock. Pollock. What does that sound like? Fish. What? <laughs> <laughs> yes. It's yeah, a Greek term Pollock yeah, from which yeah, it's a Greek term Pollock from which we get the term political oh. Excellent. Oh my god. From which we get the term politics. <laughs> so when God is referring to a city, he is referring to us as a city. We, as Christians, I mean, have you ever thought about this, actually have a politic. <laughs> okay. That is, the politic is, and you guys have just said it, it's what defines the life and the way the city operates. What are we supposed to be? We're supposed to be a 
city on a hill, hill. Right? right? See how God describes us as a city? That's who we are as a people. We're actually a people with a politic. So we think of politics today very much, as we all know, that's a big, huge, <laughs> right? Politics, ah. Uh, usually some type of negative connotation that would create disrelationship, okay? But we are supposed to have our own politic, all right? So, you guys remember this? Right? So, the world... Jew and Gentile has their own politics, right? As we all know, the world has their own politics, okay? But now that we are in Christ, we are the city of the living God, we are to have our own politics, okay? And earlier he said in, uh, to, for us to reason. That's right. So Reason together. Very good. So what are we so exactly? So what you're looking at in Isaiah right here, the reason why I read through that whole thing is because what God is laying out in one one through two five is, among other things, the politic of what we as Christians today are supposed to look like. How our city of the living God is supposed to operate. You know, we think of a church. Easy, okay? But we also don't think of ourselves as a city. All right? But a city has, to have a city, you've got to have politics. Laguna Beach, right? What what defines Laguna Beach as a city? Not just boundaries, but there's people who live here. Mm-hmm. And Laguna Beach has its own politics, politic, right? Its own ways in which it, life comes about. Um so what do you what is Isaiah here in Isaiah one one through two five that we just read? What is the politic that we are to have as the city of the living God? You just we just heard one of them. We are to be a city that reasons <laughs> together. All right? A city that lives in righteousness. A city very good. We're to be a city that lives in righteousness. Let's keep looking. What else do you guys see that we read through all there? I know I went through it pretty quick on purpose. But what other things define us as a city? It says that um, the government will be upon his shoulders. Okay. Love each other. Think about here, though. Just 1, 1 through 2, 5. What? Love each other. Okay. 16 through. What is it saying there? Um... We say love each other, absolutely. But think about just specifically in one one through two five we just read. What is it that makes us that defines us as a city of the living God? That defines us as Zion. Defines us as Jerusalem. Cease to do evil. Okay. Learn to do good. It's, it's yeah, like very good. Like it's, I drew a line. It was like right here. It was like everything was like commandments, like in a way, you know. So. Excellent. So where do you see that? So why don't we turn there? What are you looking at? 116. Yeah. Because right before that, it's basically, I drew a line. It's like such a, this is what you're doing wrong. Really good, This is how you correct it. You know? Really good. It's like, wash yourself, make yourselves clean, remove the evil of your deeds from before my eyes, cease to do evil, learn to do good, seek justice, correct oppression, 
bring justice to the fatherless, plead the widow's cause. And then he gives you an option. It's like an ultimatum. It's like if you're willing and obedient, you can eat the good land. And then and if you refuse, then you'll be in by the sword. Yeah. It's like, it's very good. So that, that's a great segment right there. Because mm-hmm. what he's saying is, you guys need to do this on your own. Yeah. It's like, hey, I'm not going to hear you. You're dirty. Yeah. Get yourselves clean. Yeah. Yeah. I want to do it. Exactly. You, you do your work, and then we can have a relationship again. Yeah. And we're tempted to correct by worshiping. Right. Mm-hmm. God, so just go do what I told you to do. Yeah. Right. Yeah, do those. Yeah. Because we think, think of it like, and, you know, again, God's not saying don't do these things where he goes through this whole thing about, he, he's not he's not saying, um, where is it, don't bring offerings. He's saying don't bring vain offerings, right. okay? Specific. It's like the city, we as a city, yeah, we come together on Sundays, for example, and we worship God and we play music and we do all that. But God says, yeah, do that. But what is he really saying? If you're doing that, but you're not doing something else, you're not that faithful city of mine. And Chris just went to it. Look at this whole section here. I mean, this is what defines, this is our politic. This is what defines who we are. That's right. And I I love how he says reason together after he lays all that down. He lays it out and he's like, all right, come Come, let's reason Very together. Good. This is the, this is it. Just yep. Do this together. Yep. And then you will be as white as snow. Yep. You know, exactly. Like your, your sickness will be healed, like that. Yep. And they think it's that ultimatum. I love that. You and guys I see love that, that there? It's an ultimatum. It's like two doors. <laughs> it's like your choice. Like what Jason was saying. Yeah. It's, like, it's not like I'm going to force you to do it. It's make the choice to clean yourself. And how do we do good? What does it say about how we do good here? Don't do evil. Well, we don't do evil, but this is, I think this is interesting. How do you do good? Look, just look what it says here. What does it say? You have to what? Be willing and obedient. Well, but what does it say? Oh, to do good, you've got to... Seek justice. Well, right, but what does it say? You've got to learn. Right. So, you know, we think about, oh, we've got to do good. Well, how do you do good? Yeah. You know, it's like, how do you ride a bike? How do you do anything? You've got to learn to do that. Right. So we are to be a city that teaches people how to do good. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, we're supposed to learn yeah. to do good. We're supposed to seek yeah. justice. I don't know if you guys we think about seek God in prayer. Awesome. Seek God. Awesome. Do we ever say seek justice? <laughs> I mean, that's not a term we usually think of with seeking something. Right. Um, you know, so again, you get this idea. This is what our city is supposed to look like. <laughs> you know, when we say we're the city on the hill, we're a little church on the hill. We're a little city. This is the kind of characteristics of what any city that's a living part of the living God looks like. Okay, look at the next, and just to see how he keeps at this. Look at the next page. He says, "Come, let us reason together." And then he said in verse 19, I think Chris just said this. What else defines us? We don't just reason together, but we are obedient or willing. And willing and obedient. <laughs> We're a people willing to be corrected. Mm-hmm. 
willing to say, yeah, I want to be obedient to God. You know? And then, notice how he says in verse 20, 21, look at the contrast. You were a faithful city. And again, that word city there, just so you know, in the Greek Old Testament, which is what was used by the people back then, that is a word pollock, which was where we get the word politics. So how are you a faithful city? You were full of justice. Okay, you were righteous. And then look what it says. It says, they did not bring. What defines an unfaithful city? One who does not bring justice to the fatherless and the widow's cause does not come to them. So you see, he's contrasting and said, you're, you're not a city of the living God right now. You are an unfaithful city like the world. <laughs> okay. Think about what our cities look like today yeah. Yeah. compared to what God says we're supposed to look like, look like with the city. And then if you look at the next page, verse 28, notice he says, Isaiah, uh, God says who Isaiah, I mean, God says who Isaiah, in verse 26, afterward you shall be called a, again, city of righteousness, a faithful city. Mm-hmm. And then it says Zion, remember we just saw in Hebrews, where is Zion, right? Zion shall be redeemed by justice, and those in her who repent by righteousness. So this is—it's <laughs> sort of like if you came into came into Laguna Beach, all right. I mean, I'm thinking of something really stupid right now because I see it all the time when I'm driving down. What, what do you see? <laughs> like when you come into Laguna Beach, you got those little flashing signs. Yeah. The define. No loud cars. Yeah. No loud cars. Exactly. No drones. No smoking. Right. Get out of here, basically. <laughs> but that's sort of what they're doing there. Is they've yeah. got those flashing signs and they're saying, "This is Laguna Beach. You're coming into. Your cars better be quiet. Yeah. Nope. <laughs> you know, Whisper. you better not fly drones. Yeah. That's part of their politic of Laguna Beach. All right. It's like when you come into our church. It's like we have a flashing sign. This is what we should be showing and saying. This yeah, is who we justice. are. Yeah. When well, you come in here, you see these justice. things. Well, don't you think, I mean, it's so interesting thinking about this in terms of like a city. You realize like um, submission, how important that is. Yeah. And you just go, that's, that's how you enter into this, as you say. Like, I put myself under the authority of this king. Yeah. And so I'll do what he tells me to do. Yeah. Right? And he goes, serve the, serve the leads. Yeah. And who's right. our king? God. Jesus. Yeah, Jesus. Exactly. All right. That's why we're going. That's that's why we're going through the Sermon on the Mount. I mean, every Sunday as Jeff preaches on the Sermon on the Mount, he's laying out the politics of what it looks like to be little church. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's really what he's doing. He's laying out, this is the politics we have in our church. We're not looking at the politics of the world, okay, and focusing on that. We're focusing on what God says is the politics that we are to be focused on. What's interesting is that when you think of, like, a city, yeah. it's funny to think like that, piggyback on what Jeff was saying, but there's so many differences, like, in our city, right, Laguna Beach, right? There's, like, this, everybody's got their politics. It's all different. But right. in this city of God, it's it's... We reason together, and it's like right. all the same, you know. Right. And it's it's, it's 
powerful because it's like if we all had that mindset and we all reason together within our own cities here, just in, you know, we'd all have peace. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> you know, and there wouldn't be this division. Exactly. And that's it's kind of a cool image to see. Yeah. You know, to reason together the city of God and it's it's all oneness. Yeah. You know. How do we come to that place in between where we can reason with one another who 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 desperately don't agree? I've, huh. yeah, I've been yeah. the victim of, of yeah, I know my you and I were talking about that today, right? Yeah, I'm of my own politic, right? And um, and it, it frustrates me that I can't communicate it somehow that um, or, or listen. I have a hard time listening to reason. It's hard to agree with somebody yeah. you disagree with. Right. Well, that's reasonable. <laughs> <laughs> well, it, it, but don't you think it is, it's like a shift in this, like, I mean, going all the way back to you saying we have to have a relationship with God, right? right? I love how, like, in the, the vine and the branches, he says, if you obey me, then you're my friends, yeah. right? So you're going... Part of how we have a relationship with God as you go. I'm but how do you, if you obey me? But before he says, if you obey me, he says, if you abide. Abide. Very good. Totally. Yeah. Huh. Right. So you're in this spot where, to me, I think it, it's about serving others, right? As versus convincing others. Hmm. That's the um, way I put it. Yeah. Right. Like if you're there to just love them as best you can, that doesn't mean you don't diminish the truth or. But I think so often we're trying to convince, and it just doesn't seem to get anywhere, right? It's just, it's a really good just, point. But if you were thinking, okay, I'm here to serve this person, or I'm here to, maybe it's a little subtle shift. Yeah. Well, well, when Jesus somebody says to me, God told me to, God told me to tell you, or um, God told me, and I think to myself, that immediately... Well, first of all, it could be based on opinions, your opinions, and you hear through the glass darkly. But to get past that, to be reasonable, to, to how do you get how do you get past that to be reasonable? You can so can I yeah, no, right? absolutely. I it's good. This is exactly. I have a lot of, a I have a lot of people that will do this for me. <laughs> even, they'll do it even in prayer. Like I'm going to pray for you, and I'm going to like. <laughs> Essentially, tell you, tell you what I think you should be doing. Preaching, And I, I find, you know, there's part of me that, like, feels patronized a bit by that, or embarrassed, or, and I find myself going, like, God, if there's anything in this, let me just be open. I'm open to what you would have for me, right? This person clearly thinks I need this thing, and they're going to speak on God's behalf, right? But I'll go, I can speak straight to God. Sure. And go, God, if there's anything I need to learn right here in this situation, let me just, let me learn it. Let me hear your voice, right? Yeah. And it has this way of sort of disarming my offense, yeah. if that makes sense. I don't know. Yeah, it makes sense. Yeah, I think in part... You know, I mean, Paul tells us this. When someone speaks a word to us, it's like what Jeff's talking about, we are to be ones who both listen to that but also test it. 
So we are to be testing anything anybody tells us other than what we hear in this word of God. We're to test the spirits. We're to test to see. So you're supposed to be reasoning. It's like, yeah, I, I hear what you're saying. And, you know, let me think about that. Let me talk to you more. Let me ask you more about what you think about that. So reason back with them. <laughs> you know, talk with them about it. Um, but I think what's hard, well, both what's hard, but we have to realize here, this is speaking of a city. And so, you know, we have our sort of city here, like, you know, in our church. We develop ourselves a culture of that city. We can't necessarily expect when we're in that city, this is how we behave. This is who we are. But people outside that city <laughs> are not necessarily, they're not necessarily part of that. Okay. But I think what we can do is develop a culture. I mean, that's what you just, you complimented Jeff about his preaching. Okay. People, you know, will have different opinions about, but what Jeff's trying to do is what? Get us all to think <laughs> about what God's saying. He's trying to get us to reason for it. That's a culture we want to have here. Is we want people to not just, you know, have Jeff be up there, senior pastor, I'm telling you like this, this is what God says, and God spoke to me, and you guys do it. He's saying, let's open up this and look what people say. Let's think, let's think about this together. So I think it's us keeping taking like that culture and developing this. Let's reason all together. You know, let's talk about this. Um, it's not easy though. No, it's not. <laughs> I, I end up. Going no in, easy in the answers. bathroom and screaming, but right. <laughs> well, that might that might help. Yeah, Bruce, what were you, what were you going to say? Well, I what I took from Jeff is, in what I find myself, I I want to be on this side of the fence or that side. Of the, I have to neutralize my thoughts, in order to come to some rational uh, judgment of somebody that disagrees with me or, uh, you know, two different sides is. You, you know, it's like you're either on one side of the COVID or on the other side, or Israel and the Palestinians. My yeah, goodness, yeah. I right. mean, there has to be a—you got to get neutral first before you mm -hmm. can do any reasoning. Right, right. Get out of the offense. Yeah, huh? I could be offended for the till kingdom come. Yeah. I could just be offended about everything. Yeah, because I I kind of want to be. <laughs> you like it's be. fun. <laughs> it's a good place to hide, isn't it? <laughs> and, and I came in yesterday, and he was just—he was all metaphysical. He had this thing hanging down, and he looked like you know his hair was big, chest, and it was like. And then all of a sudden, he said, "You slave to to the to the boss. You're the slave, and you're my sheep." And there was all this. Pejorative that began with Frank and you know f bombs, and uh, it was like I saw the offense happening, but I was kind of like in the back going, <laughs> kind of laughing. Yeah, yeah. But it's like the offense. It's like why should I be offended? Why it's it's not. I don't know. I just can't be. Well, it's a good place to be. Yeah. I would think that any of us would be offended. It's a heavy burden to carry. It's a heavy burden. <laughs> it is. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I like, um, you know, Chris brought up, which is a good place to go, like in verse 16. I mean, part of it, I mean, I think this is what's good for all of us. It starts with ourselves. He says, wash yourselves, which yeah. is really means repent. Yeah. Look at your own life and say, yeah, I'm pretty pissed off at this other person, how they're acting towards me right now, but. Oh, yeah. Just bless you know? them. Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah. very good. That's okay. what I up your act. God right. bless you. Right, but part of it is looking at our own selves and saying, you know, maybe I've offended them. 
Sure. Maybe I haven't really reasoned with them. Yeah. You know, maybe I think I'm right yeah. and they're wrong. They look at you as an arrogant jerk. <laughs> yeah. yeah. That's really true. Yeah. Instead of saying I'm right or wrong, let's reason together and talk about it. But don't you think that's like so much of that is like our politics? Uh, right? Yeah. Like you go, we have our own little city. It's like the yeah. city of Jeff. Right. Yeah. Right? And you're like, you just broke my rules. You just <laughs> <laughs> belong to the city of Jeff, Jeff right now. Yeah. I'm going to go to war, right? You know? Yeah. Right? And you're like, oh, that, like part of what you're surrendering there is all those rights. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Very good. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, again, what ultimately is love is seeking what's best for the other. Yeah. That's so easy said. That's the hardest thing in the world to do. Is because I do. I have to lay down my, I love that, I have to lay down it goes back to what you were saying, Gil I have to lay down my right and seek the interest of the others and show I love them, that's how I, that, that might even bring me to be able to reason with them then because they now know you care more about them than you sacrifice yourself to them and now they're willing to maybe open up and listen it's to like say, getting yourself out of the way let's do this together yeah, yeah and it's like my heart is really loving. It's loving them. Yeah. Instead of not saying I love, I'm actually living out the love. Yeah. Good. Yeah. So the to sort of close this off, why don't we turn everyone just turn back to two? Um, so page sixteen. Two. Two. And I want you to listen. This is. We talked about how 2, 1 through 5 is really setting up this hope. But listen to what happens when we are a city, a politic, like what God is defining here. This, this is what happens. It says, It shall come to pass in the latter days that the mountain of the house of the Lord shall be established as the highest of mountains and shall be lifted above the hills. And listen to what happens then when we are that city and all the nations will flow to it. So when we become that city in the hill, what's interesting here is notice what happens, and many people shall come. So it's like when we are that light, people will see that, and they will come. (laughs) You know? I mean, the nations, they will say, what is different here? And if you take a look all the way back in Deuteronomy, we won't turn to it right now, but Deuteronomy 4, if you want to go back and read it at some point, is in Deuteronomy 4, Deuteronomy 4 lays out that when you that God's saying in Deuteronomy, when you're this type of people, the nations will come to you. And that actually happened a little bit in the history of Israel for a very short period of time. It happened during Solomon. If you go read it in Solomon's reign in, in um, 1 Kings 4.29, you see there was a right. moment of time right. where the nation saw the wisdom and the way they were being this politic. And the nations came. We didn't have to go out to the nations. We didn't have to judge the nations. We didn't have to obliterate the nations. In fact, in Isaiah, we're going to find out, Scott says, don't worry so much about the nations. Worry about yourself. Because if you are a righteous city, if you are this godly politic, then the nations will come to us. Build it and they will come. Yeah. Huh? Yeah. <laughs> All right. Good? Awesome. Good. All right. So I'm going to end, um, I'll end our prayer, I'll end our time with, um, 
you can just think of this almost like the prayer. This is the prayer of the hope, ultimately, which is really reflecting what we just said in 2, 1 through 5. Some of you picked that up. So I'm just going to read as, as our sort of closing prayer on the wall. And it says, Revelation 21. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first, first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. And listen to what it says. And I saw the holy city, the holy politic, the new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. Who is that new Jerusalem? That's us. Okay, the new Jerusalem coming down to the new earth. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. And he who is seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. It is done. It is finished. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Amen.